I am raring um, to go to preach on this church, us, who we are, and where we're going in this next year. But we can't do it today because it's the holiday Sunday before everyone gets back in town. You know what I mean? I can't have half of the... So um, I would like to today just seed um, the congregation with thoughts, um, ideas that underpin who we are and where we're going. Um, so that this is the fun part, because usually you've got to build the work and then you get to do the fun part. We're going to do the fun part today. The Think about the ideas, the, the principles, the things behind that influence everything in your life. And then next week we'll talk about specifically our church. Our church, our mission is to equip people to be and to make disciples. Equipping people to be and to make disciples. It is the one mission Jesus gave us. There is no second mission. It's the one mission. Equip people to be and to make disciples. Go into all the world making disciples of every nation. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teach them all the things I've commanded you. Go and make disciples. That's the one command he gave us. It's very easy to move the goalpost. Get lots of people in a building. And we can feel like we're on mission and still not be making disciples because a lot of people come to the church. It doesn't necessarily mean you're making disciples. There's an old saying, make disciples and you'll automatically have a church. You can plant a church and not necessarily have any disciples. You know, um, the mission wasn't go make a church. Church is an indispensable part of how we grow and mature in the Lord. But church is not the mission. The mission is to go make disciples. Like what we're doing here is incredibly important, but it is not the mission. The mission is to make disciples. This is an incredible, um, this is part of what God has given us that helps make disciples, to raise them up, teach them all the commandments, but it's not the mission. We can have more and more and more programs in church and feel like, man, we're really busy and not be on mission. So our goal in this house is to raise up powerful people who can be on mission, which means there's not only a few people who get to be powerful in the Lord in the house. We need everyone to rise up and be powerful in the Lord in the house. We don't need just the professionals who do the Jesus stuff. We want to raise up everybody to do the Jesus stuff. You are as likely to get healed in your body, your mind, your spirit by Dana laying hands on you or Sue laying hands on you, right? You're as likely to get healed by Max laying hands on you as you are by anyone who went to Bible college. He's in just wanting to use those hello cards all morning. He's a believer. He's 11. He doesn't have a junior Holy Spirit. He has the Holy Spirit within him. He can lay hands and pray for the sick and see them recover. Everybody as much as someone who's been to Bible college. And if you don't get to do it in the house, you're not going to leave and do the Jesus stuff. So we want to make a lot of room in this house for people to rise up and be powerful. That's a big deal because most of us were raised in contexts where you didn't get to be powerful. Or you work in contexts where you don't get to be powerful. Most people don't use kingdom tools in how they navigate life. Encouragement, love, mercy, honest conversations. Most people aren't using these tools. They're using all the fallen world tools, which have to do with manipulation and control, right? Most bosses don't use kingdom tools. Most bosses use fear, intimidation, right? There's a reason why you clock in on time. Because you will not get paid if you don't, right? There's, most of our life is managed by these fallen world tools. And so the fallen world tools are all about shrinking obstacles, which often is people, to get a job done. I'm just saying we spend most of our lives in positions where we have to get shrunk or people would like to shrink us has anyone ever been to school I mean God bless the teachers I don't know how they do it especially I used to I used to think differently especially elementary school teachers 
I do not know. We have a hard time managing three in our house. I can't imagine you've got 25, 30 kids. God bless you. Honestly. But we end up in systems where you've got to conform to pretty small boxes for the systems to work. Don't we all live, we all are, you know what I'm talking about? So it's a little bit difficult for us when Jesus says, you get to rise, you get to be powerful. I'm going to fill you with my spirit. I'm going to give you my kingdom without measure. Often we don't know how to do it. We've spent so much of our life conforming to such small cubicles. Okay, I'm just throwing that out there. Our mission is to equip people to be and make disciples. Disciples are powerful people. The disciples weren't perfect people when Jesus entrusted them with the message of the kingdom. Before Jesus even died and rose again, he sent his 12 out to do the things that he was doing. He didn't go with them. Then he sent out 72. What did he say to them? Go heal the sick, go raise the dead, go deliver the oppressed. Preach repentance because his kingdom has come, right? It's near you now. And when they came back, what did they do? They came back rejoicing. They're like, even demons obey us. What in the world? And if you read the Gospels, you know these guys were like, they were flawed. When Jesus sends out the 12 and the 72, who's with them? Judas. Judas is healing the sick, <laughs> delivering the oppressed. I mean, think about that just for a second. We disqualify ourselves so much. God raises up powerful people. That's our goal in this house. Um, so I'm going to throw out some ideas today just to get, them, just to get minds turning. So um, no three-point sermon, right? I want to throw out ideas and get minds turning. So a lot of unopened, untied up threads. I love those sermons. I know it's not everyone's cup of tea. No, give me, just tell me what to do. Tell me the three things I should do. No, you don't get that today. We're going to start in Revelation 22. Revelation 22. While you're turning there, and there's um, Bibles on the seats if you need one. Um, if you don't have a Bible at home, you're welcome to take one with you. It's a very readable version. But while you're turning there, just a quick reminder, in January, every January we start with prayer um, and fasting. So um, starting this Wednesday, there's five Wednesdays in January, starting this Wednesday from 6 to 7, we'll have prayer here. I encourage you to join us. It's a short period of time. It's a good way to start the year together as a body. Wednesday here, 6 o'clock. It's guided prayer, so we won't like take requests necessarily, but we're going to be guided through praying through specific things. Um, it's a powerful way to start our year. So five Wednesdays, we have five Wednesdays. We pray together, and then once we're done with January, if you remember from the family meeting we had this fall, starting in February, we'll have classes again on Wednesday. So we'll talk more about that in January as we come closer to it. But every the first three Wednesdays of every month, we'll have a new class or new classes. The fourth Wednesday will be off, and then new classes will start the next month. So let's say your March is crazy, you couldn't get here. You know in April new classes are starting. So it's really easy to pick up, even if you've had to miss a section, what have you. Okay. All right. Revelation 22. I'm reading verses 16 and 17. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride, who's the bride? The church, right? Collectively, the church is the bride. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. So Revelation, if you're familiar with the Bible, Revelation is the end. And Revelation 22, we're talking about the end of the end. And if you read Revelation 21 and 22, multiple times it says, the spirit and the bride say, come. The spirit and the bride say, come. The spirit and the bride say, come. Drink freely of the water of life. The spirit and the bride say, come. The spirit and the bride say, come. The spirit and the bride say, come. God is drawing people to himself. He's willing that none should perish. 
And what's his plan for how that's going to happen? The Spirit is, we know from John, the Gospel of John, the Spirit is um, convicting the world of sin and of righteousness and of coming judgment. That's happening all throughout the world by the Holy Spirit, right? This is right, this is wrong, and there's a coming judgment. Make a decision. The Holy Spirit's doing that all throughout the world. The Holy Spirit, once we're saved, dwells within us. And what's happening? The Spirit and the bride are saying, come. We're inviting the rest of the world to come where we're going. The Spirit and the bride say, come. It is illegal for us to think, well, God's got a plan. He must be working it. I hope he's drawing people. That's not his plan. His plan is to partner with you and say, come. His plan is to partner with us as we say to Jackson surrounding areas, come. Come and drink freely of the water of life. Come. That's his plan. We know also from this section of Revelation, it says, how do, how do we overcome? By the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. As we're saying, come, what are we talking about? Here's what Jesus has done for me. Here's what, one thing people can't argue with is your experience. You know, they can say like, can God create a rock so big even he can't lift it if he's all powerful, right? They can do that all day. What they can't argue with is I had cancer and it's gone. It left in a moment because I got prayer. They can't argue with I was stuck in the miry clay, <laughs> And he pulled me out and set me on a rock. He set my life on solid ground. They can't argue with your experience of what you've experienced in God. And what are we doing? By the blood of the lamb, we're overcoming, and then we're testifying about it. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. As we say, come. Come and drink of the waters of, of, waters of life. Living water where you won't have to thirst again. It's a partnership. And here are the stakes in that partnership. Revelation 19, just two chapters back. This is John talking about what he's seeing, what Jesus is showing him. He says now, verse 11 of chapter 19, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sword, a sharp sword, with that it that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And then chapter 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whom face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in those books. So white throne judgment is for unbelievers, right? If you're an unbeliever, what do you do? You've got to give an account for what you've done. And we know from Romans that there's no good works that can bridge the chasm. No amount of good works. Now, if you're a believer, what happens to all the bad things you've done? They've been covered in the blood of Christ. They've been covered in the blood of Christ. So when we read this, it's not like, oh, okay. listen, this white throne judgment, it's severe, but it's not for you if you're a believer. It's for those who have not come, who've not um, drunk from the water of life. It says, um, according to their works, by the things which are written in the books, the sea gave up their dead that were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Happy New Year. Um, but the stakes are high. 
So we're set on a mission, and it's not like, oh, we're a mission, we're going to heal the sick, raise the dead. And I mean, it is exciting, but we need to understand the stakes. It's not like, hey, I like the idea of doing that. Maybe I will someday. I need to today because the stakes are high. The stakes are high for everyone around me. Me partnering with God or not partnering with God, the stakes are incredibly high. Life is a vapor. It is a vapor. We don't have much time. We can't afford to waste it. Confused and wandering and thinking about it. Right? You aren't what you want to do. You are what you do. That's a, that's a fitness quote. <laughs> that's a fitness quote but it's true it's true your body doesn't reflect the fact that you want to get up at five and run your body reflects whether or not you get up at five and run (laughs) right we can believe all the right stuff. We can be like, we can be every Sunday, we can be like, man, that's so good, that's so exciting. Thinking about what God is doing and never actually partner with him in doing it. Isn't that? Worship is so good. Man, I got my warm fuzzy fix for the week. I offloaded some bitterness today. I kept some because I feel like I deserve that because I was really done wrong with that person. I deserve to keep this. I've earned it. But I'll offload enough that I can be happy this week. Come on. We trifle with the fullness of what he's given us through his sacrifice and also in identity. Come on. And he is saying, we say to the world, come, but he's saying to us, come. Come drink fully. Come drink fully. Why be satisfied with a few drops to get you through the week, to stay on the same course you've been on? Come further up and come further in. And when you've come further up and come further in, I'm going to call you further up and further in. And here's the problem with going where God's going. He's always on the move. He's never still. We want to run to habit. Oh, so here's how the whole healing thing works. I say these two things. I do this thing. People get healed. We want to have habits we can just do by rote, right? But Jesus is always on the move. And so if you're going to be with him, you're going to be One, there's fullness of joy and there's peace, but there's constant discomfort. Because he's not going to leave you still. There's going to be mountaintops. And what you've discovered about him in the mountaintops, he's going to take you down into the valleys to proclaim. Four of us are feeling it. Four of us are... Come on. It's so easy for us, I think in Western culture, it's so easy for us to make Christianity about how to live a blessed life. Oh my goodness. If you're going where he's going, there's going to be pain. There's going to be people in pain. Promises he's given you are going to get challenged. Now we're down to two. Okay. <laughs> stakes are high. Spirit and the bride say, come. If we're going to do that within the stakes, we've got to realize the stakes are high. There are people who need to proclaim that today. Mark 4, verse 35. By the way, if you're new to the faith and you've not really used the Bible very much, at the very front of the Bible, like in the first couple pages, there is a table of contents. So if I say, hey, we're going to Mark chapter 4, it will say Mark there, and you can go to Mark, 
And then when you get to Mark, there's going to be big numbers and small numbers. The big numbers are chapters, and the small numbers are verses. So I'm going to go to Mark chapter 4, big number, and then small number, verse 35. It says this, that day when evening came, Jesus says to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was. Um, Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. Okay. Then there were also others in the boat. Um, There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Yeah, so (laughs) passive-aggressive. Is that real? I mean, really? What are you saying? Help us. That's what you were saying. I don't know. These guys. Okay. Thank God they included all the bad stuff about themselves. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, be quiet. Be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. That's cool. I think that God wants to do things through us so that people around us are like, who is this? And then we get to be like, that's Jesus. Come on. Okay. So let me throw some ideas out. And I just want to leave them churning in your mind as we come to communion today. First idea. The father loves to bless his children. This is true. He's just a good father. Honestly, Mitch and I, we just, we're constantly saying like, he's too good. Oh, no, 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 no. There's no time. No time today. He's too good to us. He's just so good. And even uh, there's times we're like, man, we totally screwed that up. Oh, my goodness. He gives us so many redos. I can't even tell you. We were hearing him. Why didn't we listen? And he told he gives us more chances. I, I don't even know. He's so good. And he takes screwed up stuff. Like things you screwed up, things I screwed up. And somehow he works them together for good. And in the end, you're like, what in the world? How did you even make this out of that? That's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. Sometimes people say silly things like, I'm so glad this terrible thing happened because of this, or I'm so glad I screwed up this way because I was, no, don't be glad you screwed up. I mean, but he's so good at what he does, it can almost evoke that. Like, what in the world? How does he keep doing this? I don't know. So, I'm going to be clear. God loves to bless his children. But mature children of God, powerful children of God, understand that God wants to do things through us and not just for us. We can spend our entire Christian lives like, God, why aren't you? Come on. Mm. That person got a promotion and I'm, you still have, come on. God, if you love me, that guy's totally going to ask me out. Come on. We all had that stage. If you grew up in the church, we all had that stage. God, my life is harder than anybody else's life. Unless you live in Sudan, but... Come on! And our prayers can be all about the stuff we want, we need, when's he going to bring it? And I think there's a point where he's like, listen, you've got to grow up and realize I'm going to do it through you and not just for you. God, there's a financial need. Where's the checks in the mail? Where's the gift? Where's the surprise? (laughs) When sometimes he's given you the idea to create wealth, not just for you, but for somebody else. And he's going to do it through you. Not just for you. (laughs) He's going to do it through you. 
If we don't understand this, we can't walk into anybody else's storm and bring him. Because we're sitting, sometimes not even in storms. We're sitting in just like a little bit of current. Because we've gotten spoiled by his goodness. And we're like, God, this is tough. (laughs) Come on. Thank you. Right? When we've got to learn how to like, God, there's a need. God, what do you want to do? I mean, this might be one of those like gifts and surprises, but hey, give us a word because we're willing to partner with you. We're willing to walk this thing out. Broken relationship. God, change their heart. What's wrong with them? Change their heart, God. Change their heart. Change their heart. When really God might be like, I want to reposition you. Even when you didn't do anything wrong, I'm going to reposition you for even more mercy. When their heart hasn't even changed. Right? God, do all this external stuff to me when he's like, man, if you would just begin to believe I can do this through you, you'd be shocked at where we could go. Come on. The Father loves to bless his children, mature children of God, powerful children of God. Understand that God wants to do things through us and not just for us. Second idea I want to throw out. Get your wheels turning. They're in this storm, right? There's 12 disciples who have already learned they can heal the sick, they can raise the dead, they can deliver the oppressed. They're in this storm and they're terrified. Jesus is sleeping. Jesus is sleeping. Um, Bill Johnson says this, I love it. He says, you have authority over any storm you can sleep through. What's undone around you? Where's the brokenness around you? What's heavy on your heart? Listen, if you're abiding, you can take it to the Lord in prayer and you will sleep at night no matter what the storm is. If you're in control mode, you can't sleep through anything. When you have said you can be in control, you can sleep through everything. That's the truth, right? But they're in this storm. So second thought. Do you bring storms or do you bring peace? Do you bring storms or do you bring peace? Because when Jesus calms the storm, what's happening? The chaos outside of him is submitting to the peace inside of him. You got me? When he tells the storm to be still, the chaos outside of him is submitting to the peace inside of him. He's carrying peace. He's carrying the atmosphere of heaven. He's carrying it. And so he is able to speak peace to the storm, and that outside chaos is submitting to the greater reality, the spiritual reality inside of him. Listen, if we're going to go as a church, and you really need to wait for next week, but if we're going to go as a church where God wants us to go, we can't be people who make storms. We've got to be people that make peace. And I love it because in this body, I just love the flow. There's peace in the house. But the time to preach it is when you've already got it happening. To remind people to steward it. Right? You don't wait until, like, everyone's creating storms to preach on how not to create storms. Like, when people are carrying peace, that's the time to preach on it so we can be aware of it and keep stewarding it. Are you with me? Do you bring storms or do you bring peace to chaos? For some people, I mean, everything they touch just seems to turn to chaos. How many of you have, felt, have seen that? Some of you be like, that was me. Every relationship, there'd come a point where it just got, you know, fraught. Every job. Come on. Listen, we've got to be able to look honestly at ourselves. If you have a hard time keeping a job for more than two years as a track record, you've got to look inside and say, Jesus, help me understand how to live in peace and not storm, not chaos. Being real with you. Now listen, there's lots of ways people get there. If you were raised in chaos, then that feels like home to you. And guess what you tend to create that feels comfortable? Kind of chaos. When things are still, you're not sure what to do with it. It's not what's familiar. Anyone who's married or has been married, was there ever a time where you're like, 
where's this fight coming from? What in the world? Now, no one's answering, and that's super smart. <laughs> that's super smart. But listen, if you were raised in chaotic, come on, then you're always trying to solve a problem. You're always looking for the chaos. Why is this happening? Why are they doing that? What? When God says, listen, you got to work from rest. you got to have peace to actually produce some kingdom things. You can solve a lot of problems and make, you can solve a problem and make 20 problems in the process. And the enemy can deceive you to think you're a problem solver because you're just wanting to help that person, help that thing, show that company how to run better, right? But there's constant disruption. It's not peace. It's going to be impossible to help bring peace to other people's storms if what we have to bring inside is a storm. Jesus could calm the storm because inside he had peace. Are you with me? Now listen, there's lots of ways you get to that point of chaos. A lot of things, a lot of times, it's not even stuff you did. But it's something Jesus wants to heal. He wants to soothe that with the balm of Gilead. He wants, to rest- he wants to give to you a new sense of what home feels like, what familiar feels like. Because when you've grown up with chaos, you're going to keep making chaos until you reset home. We recreate home, right? Have you ever come home from vacation and you're like, oh, I get to use my own bathroom. <laughs> it just... You maybe didn't even clean it before you left, but it just feels good. This is my bathroom. You might have paid to stay in $100 hotel, whatever, but you come home to your own bed and you're like, ah. Oh. That feeling of home, it's a powerful thing. And when that's chaotic inside of us, we'll keep cranking. So I'm just saying, I'm not saying, um, hey, if you're not at peace, get at peace like judgment, I'm saying we've got to be able to say, God, we're willing to have you inspect every corner of us. What's broken? What needs to get recalibrated? What needs to get set right? So we can, the spirit and the bride can be saying, come. Listen, the worst thing we could do is get defensive. Like, well, you know what? Come on. How many of you have recognized Jesus is still teaching you how to be like him? How many of you have realized there's still corners he's sweeping through? In his goodness, he's, you know, he does it on a time schedule because if we did it all at once, we'd die. <laughs> I'm not joking. We would. And we'd never be able to crawl out of, like, guilt and shame. If he showed us everything, come on. He's just so good to us. So listen, if he's putting a light on something, it's not because you're screwing up. It's because, look at you've grown enough. We're ready to go here. Awesome. You've grown enough. We're ready to come here. Awesome. When we see something in ourselves, we're like, oh, I thought I was so much further. I thought I was so much more mature. I thought, no, 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 no. You have been growing. That's how we got here. <laughs> so let him do it. Let him do it. Do you bring storms of peace? Next thought. All right, can you take more thoughts? <laughs> Are we okay? Because, yeah. Most of them got super quiet. Okay. We know we're coming to maturity in Christ when the world around us begins to look and take shape um, and take the shape of the world within us, which looks like the kingdom. You know that you're actually rising up, becoming a powerful person in Christ when the world around you starts taking the shape of the world within you. Jesus is carrying peace, and so that's what he brought to the storm. As God is teaching you about himself, you'll begin to see those things reflected in the world around you. People who aren't even believers will start doing some stuff Jesus' way because Jesus' way of doing stuff is really good, and you're doing it that way, and they start picking up on it. What's becoming familiar to them? Jesus. Awesome. Awesome. That's good. And there's a point where the gospel is going to make total sense. Because they've, they've already been exposed. They've already been, they've already been doing stuff gospel way and didn't even know it. Because that's what you do. And you're bringing that 
to the world around you. It is impossible, and this is really crucial for our culture right now, you have to understand, it is impossible to live in a victim mentality and do powerful kingdom things. It isn't possible. It isn't possible. Because every broken circumstance, you're going to feel like, well, that's not fair, and why do they do that, and why do they say that, and maybe it's because I'm a woman. I bet that's because I'm a woman, right? I mean, come on. Are some people jerks me because I'm a woman? You know what? It happens. I am like in the, I'm in the most like male-dominated profession in the world. So I'm just saying, I'm not saying it never happens. I'm just saying you can't live there. You can't live under that. If I start thinking like, oh, I bet that person is, and what if doors start closing because they don't like me because I'm a woman? Blah, blah. Listen, I serve a God who opens doors no man can open and closes doors no man can shut. You got to live from that place. Even if you're in a bad situation, Our culture is inviting all of us to weigh the ways that we should be offended. You cannot do it. You cannot do it. You have to walk in a situation saying, hey, listen, whatever's broken, I'm bringing life to. The world around me is going to conform to the kingdom within me. Not because you've got to control stuff, because you're bringing life. If you're living in the victim mentality, you'll never walk in situations with that mindset, never. Come on. Okay, forethought. I'm going to throw out there. What you believe about obstacles will determine how you approach the obstacles. Jesus doesn't get woken up to the storm and say, well, there's a storm. Maybe God's doing that. Maybe is he trying to teach us something through the storm? He's not confused about the threat. He rebukes it. When we see things around us that don't look like the kingdom, when we see brokenness around us strangling people we love, we don't have to wonder who we are in that situation. James 1, starting in verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one of us is tempted when we are drawn away by our own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it's full grown brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren, for every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creation. Listen, every good and perfect thing comes from God. Every good and perfect thing comes from God. So when you walk in a situation and things are broken, you don't have to wonder what your prayer should be or who you are in that situation. When someone tells you about their bad diagnosis, you know who you are. You're praying for healing. The Bible doesn't say discern whether or not they should be healed and then pray for healing. Man, sickness isn't from God, so we're going to pray for healing. When marriages are falling apart, we don't apply a bunch of human wisdom and say, well, I don't know. I don't know. You guys fight a lot. Mm. Maybe you should have never married him. She's not good for you. She doesn't bring out the best in you. What does your heart say? No. If there's a possibility of reconciliation, we're going to root for reconciliation. If there's a possibility there, there are a couple things that would preclude it, but not a lot. Obviously, if someone's in danger, we take that into right. You take that into account. If someone's broken covenant, then the person who's been wronged has a choice they get to make. But honestly, if when you take out the limited situations, people give people terrible counsel all the time about marriage. That's all about division, and not about reconciliation because we're trying to prove we're good friends. 
I, he said that. I can't believe he did. I'm proving to you right now what a good friend I am, even though I'm undermining your life. <laughs> like, come on. We don't have to wonder who we are in these situations. What looks like the kingdom, that's what I'm going to speak, that's what I'm going to do, that's what I'm going to pray. On earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're doing. Jesus isn't confused about the obstacle. He's not confused about the storm. He rebukes it. He takes authority over it. We can't live our lives muddled. This is, this is incredibly important at this point in our culture, too, because one thing, increasingly, that we're told is that certainty is arrogance. You can't be certain about anything. Listen, obviously, there's some things we don't know, and we're not going to know until we get to heaven. But there are other things that God has shown us specifically and clearly And we need to stand firm. There is truth. And there is a father of lies. And if he can't get you to agree with the lie, he'll at least confuse you. I don't want to be too strong on that. Man, the world needs light and darkness. Be strong. Be clear. Jesus is not confused by the obstacle. He rebukes the storm. He knows who God is, and God is good. Every good and perfect gift. How are you doing? Okay. Thanks. I've got these two up here. They're getting me through. If you dwell on the wrong things long enough, you will develop a fear reaction to the storm. If you dwell on the wrong things long enough, you will develop a fear reaction to the storm when what you need to do in the storm is rise up and rebuke it, rise up and speak the truth, whatever situation you're in. Instead, you'll be full of fear. There's a reason why the thing commanded most in Scripture is do not fear. The spirit and the bride say, come. Come. This is a decisive picture. It's like the spirit and the bride are hugging everyone and hoping everyone can sense the love of God. And the spirit and the bride are saying, come, come and drink of the water of life. It's a very decisive picture. What are you dwelling on? Is it getting you muddled? Reflect on the word of God. Meditate on his word. Meditate on what he says is true. Think on the things he's already done, not what's not done yet. When you begin to do that, you're going to feel yourself becoming powerful because your focus will be on him and his truth and not on the circumstance. The circumstance is going to intimidate you. What will happen is if you're dwelling in the circumstance, you're going to see God through the prism of the problem. He will look small and far away. And your problem will see big. You need to see your problem through the prism of God. It will seem very small if you're looking at it through the prism of God. Does this make sense? You will develop a fear reaction to the storm if you're dwelling on the wrong stuff. Romans 12.1, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies um, to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person, transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you which is good and pleasing and perfect. How do you do that? Corinthians, put every thought under the captivity of Christ. Right? Corinthians tells us you can lay hold of thoughts and put them under the captivity of Christ. The worry, the fear, the anger, the bitterness, the resentments, the whatever. You take that thought when you realize your mind has gone there again and you put it under the captivity of Christ. You put it under his feet. Things are never going to work out. It's never going to be better. Ba, 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 ba. She'll never change. Ba, 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 this one. Right? Thought. Get under Christ's feet. Whatsoever things are good and perfect and honest. I'm dwelling on these things. 
Because whatever problem is around me, I am bringing what's in me to it. And I'm not bringing that junk. Come on. Think about Elijah. Elijah has this great, right, victory over the prophets of Baal, crushes them. He's tired at this point. And he hears the threats that Jezebel's given. Jezebel, one person. He's already defeated all of Baal's prophets. He hears threats about Jezebel, and what happens? He runs away. He's just proven God is true. But he heard her words, and he believed them. And not the promise God had given him. He runs away like a coward after this great victory. What are you dwelling on? Where are you dwelling? Um, really quick, Psalm 119.32 says, I will run in the paths of your commands, for you have set my heart free. Think of your mind and the habits of your mind as paths that you run in. And let them run along his commands and his word. It will set your heart free. Okay, we don't have time for much more. I'll throw a couple more things out real quick. There are things that God has called you to. And you're not going to know the strength of his word to you until you see it opposed. That's just the truth of it. And some of you are experiencing incredible opposition. God said to Jesus, Jesus was baptized. And God says, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit descends on him. And the Holy Spirit leads him out into the desert where Satan is willing, ready to tempt him. The Holy Spirit's not tempting him. Satan's doing it. But the Holy Spirit knew Satan would be there. It doesn't stop it from happening. The word of God over your life is going to get opposed. The word of the Lord over your life is going to get opposed. It's going to get tested. So you can know the strength of it. And there are things that we want to be the word of the Lord to us. That are going to get tested, and you're going to see this is not the word. How many of you have been are thankful that you've said, "God, I need you to, to show me is this from you or not?" And that thing fell like, like a rocket, and you're like, "Okay, thank you, God." His word's going to stand. The word of the Lord to you is going to get tested. If it doesn't get opposed, you're not going to the strength of the you're not going to have the strength of the word to you. Sometimes the word of the Lord to you is going to get opposed by righteous people. They're not doing evil. Sometimes they're doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing because the word of the Lord to you needs to go through the fire to come out like gold. But his word will stand. There is no promise of God that doesn't require something from us. Last thing I'll leave you with. There are always two trees in the garden. <laughs> there are always two trees in the garden. Right? That you can eat of, that you can't eat of. There are promises of God over your life, things that God says are true. And there will always be two trees in front of you when it comes to those promises, when it comes to his way for your life or the other way for your life. There will always be two trees. It's going to require something from you. For the spirit and the bride to say, come, it's going to require something from us. It's going to require choices. It's going to require strength. We're going to have to hone our habits. Your habits become your virtues, right? Virtues are things you automatically go to, automatically do. That comes through habit. The word of the Lord over your life is going to require something from you. There are always two trees. Would you stand? John chapter 7. Worship team, come on up. Prayer team, come on up. We're going to receive communion in just a minute together. As we close out this year, John chapter 7 says this. It's the last day of, day of the feast. People are gathered, verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this is, this he said, and about the Spirit, whom those believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus cries out. He's saying a bunch of hard things. And he says to the people that are gathered there, listen, if you'll believe in me, you'll put your faith in me, you'll go all in with me, 
Out of your heart is going to flow rivers of living water. God is not calling you to a list of rules. He's calling you to a relationship that is vibrant. It's on the move. It's not about getting comfortable. There's going to be discomfort. But he's going to take you and me places we cannot imagine. He will do through us things we can't even imagine the ripple effect into eternity. He's already ordered your steps. There's two trees in front of you, his way, other way. I want to just leave these thoughts percolating as we come to next week. But maybe this has stirred up some things for you. In which cases we're worshiping, come and get prayer. There's folks to pray with you on the back and each side and the front here. If you're sick in body, need prayer, come and get prayer. If there's a need you've come in the house with, you want someone to agree with you on, come and get prayer. But let's take some time to respond and to worship him. Amen. Put your hands together if you can. Your truth will hold Your great love will lead me through You are the peace in my troubled sea Oh, oh you are the peace in my troubled sea Come on, sing my lighthouse We sing my lighthouse My lighthouse Shining in the darkness I will follow you Trust the promise, you will carry me safe to shore, safe to shore, safe to shore. I won't fear what tomorrow brings, with each morning I'll rise and sing, cause my God's love will lead me through. You are the peace in my troubled sea. Oh, oh, you are the peace in my troubled sea. Oh, my lighthouse, my lighthouse, shining in the darkness. I will follow you. Oh, my lighthouse, my lighthouse, I will trust the promise. You will carry me safe to shore. the promise you will carry me safe to shore safe to shore safe to shore safe to shore amen
together. The spirit and the bride say, come. The stakes are incredibly high. We need to rise up into full maturity in Christ and recognize our role. As powerful people, (laughs) sons and daughters of God, ministers of reconciliation. The spirit and the bride say, come, and I have to say, the bride is the church globally, obviously, but 
I wouldn't want to do this with anybody else but you guys. <laughs> if the church is saying, come, I'm so glad I get to do that with you. So as we take communion today, you don't have to receive communion if you don't want to. You don't have to be a member of this church. You can receive if you're a believer, uh, if you made Christ Lord of your life. But the, um, the ushers are going to give out the emblems. Um, and then what you're going to do is you're going to find two, three, four people around you as we start this new year. And you're going to pray for each other. If there's needs, pray for the needs. But sometimes we just go to the need when really um, there's like blessing. Also, God wants us to pray over each other. And maybe there's prophetic encouragement you have, but we're going to pray together. So you're going to get the emblems. And once you do, um, if you want to find two or three or four people, uh, let's end this year by praying for each other. Spirit and the bride say, come. We're in this together. Amen. So rather than pray together at the end, we're going to pray together now. And then your dismissal is going to be when you and the folks you find are done praying for each other. Include people you don't know. Make sure everyone's got somebody. Yeah. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. As you receive the emblems, find some folks, pray together. Jesus knew we would need this reminder of all that he has purchased for us on the cross. We can live in freedom from sin, resentment, unforgiveness. We can live by his spirit.
some folks look behind you too pull in the one or two that might be by themselves 